Hello and welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Engagement Zone. I'm your host, Matt, Matt, Matt Manners, CEO and founder of the Employee Engagement Awards and Conference. Uh, there's been a small break, you might have noticed, in our podcasts. Um, this has been due to our conference and awards in North America. We held them in Tribeca, New York City on June the 20th, 2019. It was our biggest uh, conference anywhere in the world to date. We had some fantastic speakers. And once again, congratulations to all our North American winners. Uh, you can view who these people are and businesses are on our website. Um, summer is usually a time when people slow down, organizations slow down, but not, not with us. Um, we're bucking that trend. We're actually open for entries in the UK and Europe this week. We announce our top 101 influencers next week, one of, one of which is our, our guest today. And um, we are selling tickets to our conference in Johannesburg this September. They're all available on the website now. So to the news this week, what's going on in the world? Um, well, uh, we're close to home. The tournament, tennis tournament at Wimbledon has starts today. Uh, there is a heat wave um, uh, across Europe with record temperatures uh, being set in France. So the Paris Accord seems to be something that we should all be paying attention to. Uh, the US play England in the Women's Soccer World Cup this week. And it's actually my birthday, but enough of that. To my guest today... Um, she has been an invaluable judge uh, in the UK and Europe last year, and we hope so again in the future. Uh, she is a top 101 employee engagement influencer, educated at Harvard, um, and in, a, in, a, in her own words, uh, loves what we do in human resources and organization development, um, love being able to help organizations develop capa capabilities and to touch human lives, a sentiment I think all of us agree with and um, strive towards. In 2015, she set up her own firm uh, of her own name, and I'm really pleased to welcome Cecile Peer uh, of Cecile Peer Consulting. Um, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Matt, and happy birthday. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, yeah, less said about that, the better. I probably shouldn't have mentioned, I suppose. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Um, thank you for your support. Um, I think I first came across you and your and your work on LinkedIn um, and and some of the some of your writing and and your your views on on the world of work and I think it'd be great to get that that insight and and your thought process uh, over to our listeners today. So so um, what kind? How did you get into what you're doing now? I suppose is the best question to start with. Yeah, thank you for asking. So I'm an IO psychologist, uh, that's industrial and organizational psychology. Uh, I spent about 17 years of my career serving Fortune 100 companies. And I lived in four different continents. The different job assignments took me to different places. I was very fortunate to work with people who were sort of industry leaders to begin with. And not only I learned a lot about my own function, but I was able to contribute to the evolution of the workplace uh, for many, many years. As you said, uh, at the beginning of 2015, I set up my own firm. And I did that mainly because, Matt, I realized um, I was able to be a part of an experience creation in the work assignments that I had inside corporations. And I wanted to be able to replicate that for others. Um, so what I found in my own experience as an HR leader, that's where I spend majority of my time serving the Fortune 100 
um, was that we were able to create these environments where individuals could thrive. And from there, collectively, we could go make great things happen. So we could innovate, we could um, have fun, we could you know, be an industry leader in the products and services we were building, etc. And so I really wanted to be able to kind of test it for myself if I could recreate those circumstances for others in a more extensive way, if you will. So that's sort of the transition that I had um, from being in the corporate to doing consulting work. So um, we've got many topics to cover, um, but what, what kind of a, an environment would you, how would you describe an environment where people could thrive? Yeah, yeah. Is there a generic one or is it, is it individual to each organization? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, so I think what I'd say is in our world, and I personally am definitely, but in our world, we are keenly passionate about creating environments that's suitable for an individuals and organizations thriving. And for us, that means environments of meaning, environments of inspiration, environments of safety, and environments of joy. So those are the things that we're aiming towards. We care about the context, the environment, because we care to embrace our humanities in their entirety. You can't really separate the individual from the context or the context from the organization. We are all embedded in one another. It's kind of complicated, but think about it this way. There are multi there, the way that I say it, there are multitudes to our being as human beings, right? So for example, there's physicality to our being, which means we have a need to be seen in our appearance, in our physical condition, health status. Um, there's also affection to our being. So we have a need to be heard in terms of our emotional state and what we have to offer, you know, at a table. Um, there's a social aspect to our being. So we have a need to care and to be cared for, to connect with others. And there's absolutely a competence to our being. And so we have this need to be recognized for our capabilities and for our contribution. And we believe if you can create the right sort of environment, people actually can bring all of themselves and can actually contribute in ways that they themselves couldn't imagine. So it's really about unleashing potential uh, inside of an individual. It's kind of like being a gardener. You know what I mean? Like making sure you have this right sort of soil to begin with and then you put the seeds in and make sure you have the right amount of water and right amount of sun. And then you see the seed coming out and turning into a beautiful flower. So we care to create that sort of context inside of the organization organizations and from there help individuals and organizations thrive that sounds like a a, a great way into creating high performing people um not necessarily engaged people but, but actual perform, high performing people that uh, are getting the most out of their own potential and enjoying that uh, at the same time whilst helping the business um perform too uh, how how would you go about trying to uh, I suppose n nurture those different aspects of, of 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 the human human being. I suppose as, as you've just addressed there. Yeah. So just to take a step back, what you said is absolutely right in terms of performance. So when human beings are in environments where they feel they can belong, so they can bring their whole selves forward. Yeah. They have these trusting relationships. 
they actually do thrive, but they thrive in a scientific way. So like their health, their well-being gets elevated. So if you measure them inside of those environments versus others, they actually feel better. Their heart count will be at a regular pace. Their blood levels will be at a better level. They experience also more energy because their bodies are, you know, all in the states that it's supposed to. They also have more clarity and more drive. So as a result, of course, they're more productive. So they are hard performing. What you're saying is exactly true. Now, how we go about creating those environments, that really depends on the organization, um, you know, who they are, what they do, what sort of culture they already have and the individual capabilities they own. And so sometimes it's as simple as going in and helping them rethink about their skills. And so we may go in and help build the kind of learning and development curriculum for them. Other times it's about looking at their systems and in the system, either they may not have the right structure or they may not have the clarity of roles and responsibilities. So we may have to just shift a couple of things. Other times it's about the context itself where, you know, for one reason or another, collectively, people are not living the values. You know, they have a certain level of values, but they are not necessarily demonstrating them in, in behavior. And so we may have to do work around that. It really changes from one organization and one situation to another. And and the sense of belonging, is, is, that, is that touching on um, uh, psychological safety, making people feel like they're, they be, they're their own selves at work? Absolutely, absolutely. See, the thing is, um, I think we forget that organizations are fundamentally living organisms, meaning we are, you know, organizations are made up of people. I'm sure there's a structure, but there's a dynamic culture to them too. And as human beings, we do have a need for security. That's just built in. I think there are a number of things that work against us in today's environment, but one of the things is, we have really forgotten, or perhaps we never learned it in the first place, about our human evolution. Mm. So there are three core basic motivations that make all of us human. One is self-interest. We all care to have a little bit of skin in the game. The second one is connection. We all want to know that we can care for one another and be cared for, that we can connect with someone. Even these people who are sort of online now, uh, Matt, you know, these social media influencers, etc. they come together every year face-to-face in a conference in Las Vegas. Like, it's, you know, we, we tend to think like technology doesn't require us to connect, but it's not so. And the third one is meaning. So... These three motivations actually drive our sense of belonging. But unfortunately, majority of our current organizational systems, be it in business or in government, typically satisfy one of one of the three core motivations, which is self-interest. And so we want to challenge this reality to say, yes, of course, people want to look out for themselves and they want to be rewarded and they want to advance in their careers, etc. But there's also the other needs that we have. And when you pretend that we don't have them and we don't need them, you're actually contributing to fragmentation in in all ways. You know, fragmentation of the individual, fragmentation inside the societal aspect of the organization and also as the output of the organization too. So 
again, bringing more awareness into the workplace and then helping people and organizations transcend appropriately. Well, we we could obviously talk talk about this for probably days. I think maybe maybe weeks. But, um, it's and, and I love it. I think I, I basically one of my main. Uh, drivers is to create a world where people feel psychologically safe in the workplace they can take their true selves into the workplace and usually it boils down to a simple point although that could be very complicated within that thinking about human evolution i think is a fantastic one and you know talking around current current affairs and world pride month just finished yesterday and um you know you'll see we were in New York and you could not go. Probably every other shop would have had the pride branding, um, the rainbow branding within it. And then talking to people within the community, um, of which I have you know, very, very close, close ties to that uh, personally. Um, it, there is a, almost a, a reaction to it now in the sense that are these organizations actually practicing what they preach? It's very easy to put a rainbow, uh, rainbow logo on their, on their company, um, uh, POS, but actually are they creating a safe, safe environment for, for LBT, LBTQ, uh, uh, people within their organization? I think we've got to be quite careful around that too. Yeah. I love this example because so much has shifted by right? 20, 21 years ago when I started, many of the things that we can talk about today were taboos. And so for those people uh, who are hearing about, you know, human centricism or, you know, putting people in the center of your business, if that sounds kind of like, I don't know how to connect to that, whether we can make that a reality, Think of human evolution and what we have experienced in the past 20, 30 years. But the key is we have to believe, right? Yeah. So we have to believe that a new context is possible. We have to believe that businesses can serve a purpose that's broader than, I don't know, just revenue generation and organizations can sort of ground themselves in a culture of humanity. We need to also believe that leaders can be different in their own context uh, and to effectively engage others and grow a network of stakeholders. But again, we have to believe. We, we need to believe so we can start acting towards it and then eventually the magic will happen. And I suppose if you, if you, if you do, if you do or organizations do what we're talking about and understand their people better on a human level, then you're going to create leaders throughout the organization, not just from the top, but from the bottom up as well. Absolutely. So that's one of the things. There are a number of things that we're trying to challenge um, with the work that we do. And when it comes to culture transformation or the traditional language, I guess, is change management. I don't like that language. But if when we talk about culture transformation, one of the challenges we're trying to put towards the CEOs, especially, is that culture doesn't have to be driven from top down. It can be, but it can also be bottom-up. And let us tell you and show you how that's possible. The other thing is we have always defined culture as sort of an iceberg. I don't think anyone has not seen the iceberg visual, you know, when it comes to culture. Yeah, it. It's like, say, you know, there, there's, a, there's a tip that you see, but there's a huge thing under the water, which is true, meaning there are interior and external motives to the culture. There um, interior behaviors and external behaviors, but it's not separate. You're not separate from the water or there isn't, you know, this and that. I think just by the way of us thinking and talking about it, we 
we bring division into the conversation. And what we want to embrace uh, with the leaders is that a culture is owned by everyone. Yeah. And change can start from anywhere because all of us have an equal, actually, distribution of power, which is untrue today, but that's also where we are aiming towards right if you're thinking about power is something you gain from inside not from your status or your authority or your chair then we are all equals in this and we have equal power in terms of the transcendence that we can enable so yes you're absolutely right so i can talk about this for <laughs> forever so we have to stop no here. no absolutely we, we, we want to hear we want to learn more um as, as 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 our listeners know, if you're current or new, uh, we try and keep these podcasts down to about fifteen to twenty minutes uh, to fit into your your busy daily lives. Um, uh, we will actually be uh, publishing a report um, created by Cecil um, on on our website. It's called Human Centered Leadership: Behaviors, Mindsets, Attributes Acquired for the Future of Work, um, and that will be available for download too. But but um, so. We definitely recommend you you download that and also to to check out um, her work and her views. But before we before we um, finish the podcast today, what future trends, work trends, do you see coming? Because uh, I know you're a visionary and you're always looking forward. So, what kind of uh, things should we we expect um, in the next few years to come? Yeah, thank you for asking. Maybe I'll say just a very quickly a little bit about the uh, research that you have mentioned. So we set up this research with Stanford University, Matt, to discover what has made enduring, meaning long-lasting organizations, sustain their growth. So I think many people likely have heard the data that 52% of Fortune 500 companies have disappeared since 2000. And so we looked at the remaining 48%. So we picked a, a couple, actually more than a couple, about 100 of those to understand which behaviors, mindsets, and attributes were successful in enabling their sustainable growth. And so we published that report, and that's the one that you're making reference to. Now, coming back to the question around trends, I think it's fair to say we are all experiencing change in our lives. We are sort of living in these times of constant volatility, ambiguity, and uncertainty, if you will. I will say this is true, not only economically, but also socially, sociopolitically, and culturally. There is so much happening as we travel. I know you travel a lot, too, from one country to another. I just have purview to a number of things that are happening. In the workplace, however, the fourth industrial revolution is proving to be a strong one because there are forces of change that we haven't dealt with before. So there's globalization that's really much different at its impact and scale than before. There's digitalization, again, much different than before. And also the democratization that's taking place in our workplace. So I see a lot of organizations re-engineering their work, um, you know, because technology is shaping really every job that we have out there, transforming their workforce. Um, definitely there are more there's more inclusion, there are more alternative work arrangements we are um, thinking about today, which is wonderful. There is redesigning of workspaces that I'm seeing. There's a lot more mobile, better integration. And now we're starting the conversation about rethinking leadership and empowerment of every employee, which is also wonderful. 
So um, reorganizing the workforce. Uh, two, two, two things I'll quickly touch on. Is that is that replacing the workforce with the with the um, advent of AI and and and, and like you say, technology? Um, and, and with regards to reimagining workspaces, uh, what what are you seeing there? Because I'm already seeing like the the uh, rebellion to the open plan workspace um, and almost <laughs> so, you know, but, you could, but so I'm quite interested to see what you've seen and what you think is coming. Yeah, you and me both. So <laughs> <laughs> reengineering the work, there's definitely the AI aspect. So uh, some of the, not only just artificial intelligence, but some of the intelligence machine learning that we are using is really transforming the jobs. And so, for example, staffing, right? If I, if I were to speak about my own function, uh, in the old days, we would get CVs. We would literally handpick through hundreds and hundreds of CVs every week. And now machines can do that for you. You know, if you put the right sort of algorithm in and you know what you're looking for, there's at least a layer of filtering that's happening that you don't have to do. Um, does that remove the unconscious bias? You know what? It's a good question. I think it's too soon to say uh, where we're going to benefit or not, but potentially, yes. And and I believe in technology. So I'm a, I'm a big, um, as much as I'm interested in te- in human condition, I'm also interested in technology. So I- I'm hopeful. <laughs> in terms of the workspace, I continue to see more open spaces and um redistribution of tables and like here in Switzerland um, I know a number of pharmaceuticals who have introduced these baskets like you actually have a basket coming into work and you put your laptop and your water and everything there and you just kind of go find yourself a space right. and I know psychologists I am yet to believe that this is good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, and I don't mean to challenge some of the science out there because there is some evidence that uh, suggests when you're in an open space and you have uh, access to people, there is more creativity at play. And I fully agree with that. It's more about the interaction that you're creating rather than the space. But I think some of the organizations have taken it to its extreme. And again, time will tell whether we are doing the right thing or not. But the key there is to ask why you're doing what you're doing. So if you are rethinking about your space, I would ask, what are you trying to accomplish? What is the why of what you're trying to do? And then really think it through before you make the investment. Well, devil's advocate, which I love to play all the time, um, it seems sometimes it seems like I try to be a silver bullet when best best time and money be spent on uh, actually focus, figuring out uh, the purpose and the values within your organisation and getting the right people on board to, who live and breathe those, uh, I think would create a an organisation that collaborates and works together in a much a much uh, a better way. But um, that's probably, uh, I think, if you if you disagree with myself or C- Cecile, uh, please uh, please do uh, comment online on, on LinkedIn where we post these and create create some debate. Um, but for now, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, if there's ever proof that maybe this format is too short, it was this interview. Uh, <laughs> I could talk for hours with you. Um, uh, I think we might try and do a longer a written format interview with you as well, which we'll publish um, if you're if you're up for that. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and yeah, so thank you very much. Um, what what's what what have you got on this summer? Have you been away? Or are you going away? You're going to give yourself some self, self some time off. 
Yeah, so it's an interesting summer for me, Matt. We haven't talked about this previously, but um, it so happens that we have some positive developments inside our family. So my husband is taking on a much, much bigger role inside his company. And he was offered um, a one-time opportunity, probably, we're laughing about it, but to take three months off before he takes on his new role, which I think is a wonderful investment from his company's side. I, unfortunately, being a business owner and, and, and a CEO for a consulting firm, I can't take three months off, but I am going to be gone for seven weeks. And that's the longest vacation I ever had in my life. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm really excited for the break. Um, and so we will be uh, in Turkey where we have some family. Um, we rented a little shack by the ocean. It's really not fancy, but it's wonderful. And We'll just kind of spend some beach time. Um, beach time sounds fantastic. I, I, I made myself take two and a half weeks, uh, well, three weeks off at the start of the year after our Gala Awards in the UK. And um, the first few days uh, without the laptop and packed away under, at the bottom of the suitcase uh, are twitchy. Um, but then it's fantastic and definitely worthwhile. So I'm, I'm very excited for you. Um, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me. I'd be delighted to have more conversation if there's interest, Matt. Absolutely. Our, our pleasure. So uh, thank you very much. Um, we'll be back with uh, another podcast. Uh, we, Like I said, we had a short break, but we have some fantastic guests lined up for you, uh, focusing on Company of the Year in the UK, uh, Southampton Football Club, uh, talking to an expert in, uh, in mental health, David Beanie and many more over the summer months. Uh, maybe whilst you're taking some beach time, uh, so to speak, you can listen to us, but maybe not. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, speak to you. Uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you.